Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? Yeah, come on. I just hope we can win a game. Come on. Dropping stats over beats is the fantasy freestyle. Always coming with the heat. Yo, it's the fantasy freestyle. We got strong takes and tips. It's the fantasy freestyle. You win championships at the fantasy freestyle. Dropping stats over beats is the fantasy freestyle. Always coming with the heat. It's the fantasy freestyle. We got strong takes and tips at the fantasy freestyle. You win championships with that fantasy freestyle. Special technique of shadow boxing. Yeah, yeah, you know what it is. Rocks and speeds in the place to be. Happy 2017, Rocks. We are dropping stats over beats. It's the Fantasy Freestyle on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You are back from your travels. How are you feeling? You got through customs okay, Rocks? I cleared customs like, whoa, man. Like Rob Shelley? A couple of cigars. I'm going to smoke those for all the victories I'm going to have in 2017. I've been telling people, New Year, same us. You got to keep listening to the Fantasy Freestyle. Style as we continue to give you what you need to win your league and win that, that cash. You know what it is, Rocks. I mean, listen, when you were gone, we had the end of the regular season. We had some championships won, some championships lost. Um, I like how you are predicting that you are going to win championships in 2017. We have multiple opportunities to do that, whether it be that Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, when we give you that baseball heat, whether it be when we give you that football heat, or check it out, Rocks. Whether it be in the first ever uh, Fantasy Freestyle DFS tournament that we are doing for Wild Card Weekend, we hope all our listeners, uh, you know, will be tweeting out the info that you could join us on that fan duel. We're keeping it light, right? Just like a five dollar entry. That's what Just it is. Five dollars, man. I know you. I know you guys. Your New Year's resolution is to save more of that cash yeah. that me and Speed yeah. are helping you win. I'm with that. Just a little five dollar, okay. ten team, nice, kind of nice. just for fun. Let's just fill it up. There's, there's always glory inherent. So we encourage all of you to join. We'll definitely shout out the winner. Sure. And if you want to do a quick drop, we'll work that out with you. So keep For your sure. eyes out on the Twitter. We'll be tweeting out the link, and hopefully we'll get a nice field of competitive entries. Absolutely. That might be, Rox, your first opportunity to smoke one of those victory cigars, getting it in early when we still have President Obama. Moving forward, though, you know what we need to also do is uh, one of those cigars maybe should go... Uh, uh, in a uh, way to tip our cap to someone who, you know, has been doing it in fantasy for... He's been doing it for years. I would say he's been doing it for years. This cat has been running around with some of the sounds from under the ground, but suddenly now he uttered it loud in front of a crowd, so fronting's allowed because this guy, Steve Smith, he would punch you in the mouth. You know, Whoa. I'm telling you, and this guy at only 5'9", okay, what a hell of a career. Rocks and speeds in the fantasy freestyle. Definitely want to tip our cap to Steve Smith. This guy, I think, is a no-brainer Hall of Famer. A thousand catches, five-time All-Star. Guy was just like, had, you know, such determination, grit, grind. This guy would punch you. Also, when you consider his return yardage, um, you know, second maybe only to Tim Brown in terms of, uh, you know, production from the wideout spot when you consider returning as well. Yeah, man. I mean, you look at the numbers and it's it's absolutely surprising. Steve Smith had a bunch of years that really jumped out the page uh, off the page when you look at his total career, but he was really a guy who year in and year out people kept saying he was going to decline, and he did not. He finishes an illustrious career that started with him being the third round pick out of Utah in 2001. I repeat that, 2001. Wow. 12th in career receptions in the NFL, 7th in career receiving yards, and that's an attribute to his big play ability, and as you just said, speeds, 7th in career all-purpose yards. One of my defining moments of Steve Smith as a Saints fan was constantly watching Steve Smith running down the field, catching bombs from quarterbacks ranging from Jake DeLome to Cam Newton with no other Saint in the picture. It's been absolutely ridiculous and he proved a lot of people wrong finishing up his career with the Baltimore Ravens as a productive wide receiver in the latter half of his 30s. Tip of the cap to C. Smith, to all you other defenders
defensive backs out there, you better ice up, son. Ice up, son. You know Steve Smith. He be getting it down like that. And I mean, when he was with the Carolina Panthers, you referenced Jake DeLome throwing him the ball. I mean, that team went to the Super Bowl one year, and he was a prime weapon. This guy, first, second round draft pick, year in, year out, would get you 13, 1,400 yards, and he would get you in the end zone. Big play ability from the wide receiver position. Yo, check it out, though, Rocks. Uh, another thing you missed when you were out in international waters was uh, Black Monday. I know a couple of coaches that wish that they had Steve Smith or some kind of production like that from the outside because maybe it would have saved them their jobs. There are currently six openings in the NFL, which is, you know what, I'm doing the math like almost a fifth of the league I'm telling you so I mean you know I would wonder you know I if you've been listening to the fantasy sports radio network you hear Spies the spitting statistician on shot callers and earlier in the week I kind of ranked the jobs that I thought were most desirable and I gave some uh, some reasons that people not may not be interested in or know about like for example rocks I kind of think the San Francisco job is pretty good let me give you three reasons why okay one is that it is the only opening right now where the team is going to be hiring a head coach and a GM at the same time. For the, for the head coach and the GM to be on the same page and come in without any kind of one inheriting the other, I think is very, very important. Is the cupboard pretty much bare? Yes, it is. Do I think there is talent? No, I do not. But what I did hear Jed York, the owner, say was that he wants to try to establish a new winning culture. And you know what? That takes time. You know what else? They have had four head coaches in the last four years, and I don't think that's going to happen. I think they are also in a division where you also have Los Angeles that is a basement kind of team, and uh, this is Speeds calling his shot. The Arizona Cardinals are primed for regression over the next two to four years. With an aging quarterback, I can see David Johnson being the only shining light there for years to come. We looks like Larry Fitzgerald's going to be gone as well. I think this is a division where you can kind of spring up and, uh, you're going to have some time on the same page with the GM. I think that's kind of important. One of these jobs uh, pique your interest, Rox. Well, I would say, you know, as you as you astutely pointed out, it's there is an entire new organization basically up in San Francisco. And sure. if I'm coming in as either a coach or a GM, I really, really like that. I will say, though, that in Los Angeles, I'm not entirely sure that Les Snead is necessarily going to stick around as the GM there. I know that is a very, very high-profile opportunity as well. I think a lot of coaches would be interested in that. That said, I wouldn't be shocked to see people choosing the Denver job. You know, if you're one of these young guys that maybe had a chance and kind of fell flat like an Adam, uh, excuse me, like um, like a Josh McDaniels, you know, I, I wouldn't be, you know, you've been waiting. I don't, you know, I don't know. It may be hard for him going, staying in the AFC with a competitive team, but that is a team that Josh McDaniels was already the head coach of the Broncos in his career. He's not going to go back there. When he left the first time, he became the Broncos head coach. I don't think they want to go back to that. Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Not your right speeds. My bad, my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. That could be your first gentleman's bet of 2017 if you want. I'll let you you take that one. Here's Um, the thing. I think Denver is going to wind up going um, a bigger bigger splash than that. Okay, this is a kind of win now team. I think you make a good point about um, being lucky to try to, if when you're an ascending coordinator or something like that, you have to be careful because you only get so many opportunities, unless, of course, your last name is Ryan for some reason. But the, here's the reason I don't like the Denver job as much as many people that are out there that I've heard from. Um, you have expectations in Denver. Okay, as soon as you walk in, you are expected to make the playoffs. You have a defense that is win now, but the window is slightly 
in closing, and you have strong personalities there in John Elway and guys like Vaughn Miller. And here's the thing. When that defense has to win now, that's when you're supposedly developing either Axton Lynch or Trevor Simeon. I'm not that excited about that. And the last point I'll say about that, with the expectations that you have as Denver, you are in a very difficult division. The Kansas City Chiefs are a solid team year in, year out. The Oakland Raiders, many people believe, are an ascending team. And with young, former MVP candidate until he got hurt, Carr out there, they're going to be there for years to come. I don't think it's an easy road to host. Similar how to like free agents don't want to be in the like Western Conference when it's so bad in the NBA. I think there's expectations, but you're set up to continue to be mediocre, especially with these two quarterbacks. Well, what do you think maybe about Kyle Shanahan? Yeah, I like Kyle job. Shanahan given a his, lot. Given his father's, given his Listen. father's relationship, given the fact that you know he's going to be treated with a little bit of respect, and also that the fans there are going to see that last name and remember the good times. Yeah, I like Kyle Shanahan a lot. When I did uh, my talk about candidates on shot callers earlier on this week, um, Kyle Shanahan was someone I had big faith in. I have big faith in this Atlanta offense. He's done it before everywhere he has been. This Atlanta offense is number one in the league, and I do think Kyle Shanahan is interested in Denver, and I think Denver is interested in him. I, however, placed Kyle Shanahan instead because maybe about, like you said, stepping out of dad's shadow a little bit. You know, Shanahan obviously did have some time in Denver, but um, I was thinking that Shanahan was viable in one of two jobs where they might be looking for a quote-unquote quarterback whisperer. And I think there are two jobs out there that also, to be quite honest, I think are um, better than most. When I did my rankings, they were the number one and number two jobs. I think if he could go out to LA and actually develop Jared Goff, you have all the other pieces in place with Todd Gurley in the running back, a defense with guys like um, all pro Aaron Donald, Donald yeah. Ogletree. You have a new market where that can attract free agents. You have some buzz. You have an owner that's building a new stadium that wants to keep it filled and will have resources behind you. And if you're the guy who thinks you can develop Jared Goff, I think it would be a good play. The other place where I think that is largely similar is in Jacksonville. Listen, the defense is getting better and better with guys like Malik Jackson, Fowler, Jalen Ramsey. You are also in an imminently winnable division as we yes. have seen. And, you know, the Allens on the outside, if you are the guy that can fix Blake Bortles, then you have an interesting, you have an interesting possibility in a winnable division. The only thing I don't like about that job is you're going to have to deal with that trip to London every year, which is a bit of a problem for me. Well, and another thing that I'll say to you there is that, you know, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't, because you're dealing with a quarterback in, uh, you know, in, in Bortle service that's shown some NFL success, but who's also... It seems like every other year he's having his mechanics needing to be fixed. And at what point do you just get sick of that? I would also say we're hearing that Doug Marone might get a look there. We're hearing that Tom Coughlin might even be brought back. I mean, is, is does Jacksonville's owner, Shad Khan, does he view them as a, as a project team? Or does he think that they're really close to being win now because of that weak division? I don't know. I don't think that we can win now either. I think, though, he will give his next coach a little bit of leeway. Um, and you have you've bought time because you know you inherited Blake Bortles going back to my point before the timeline that's why that San Francisco job is pretty interesting to me the last name I want to mention the job that I actually ranked the least desirable um, is the San Diego Chargers job and here is why okay it's been said in any sport, one of the hardest things to do as a manager or as a coach is to deal with an aging superstar. That's what you have in the quarterback position in San Diego. Phillip Rivers coming off a season where he led the in the league in interceptions, 21 interceptions. He made it very public at the beginning of the year that he didn't know if he would want to ever move his family and his like 27 kids to Los Angeles. It seems like that's what the Godless. Chargers are Godless going to there. be doing. I don't know if Phillip Rivers wants to inherit a 
new coach and a new scheme and all this stuff. I think, actually, you mentioned Josh McDaniels, offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots. I'm actually hearing that the defensive coordinator of the New England Patriots, Matt Patricia, has been granted permission to interview with San Diego, and I can see that as a possible thing. You mentioned the first-time defensive coordinator getting a job. When you don't have that much demand, you might have to take what you can get, and I think that might be the case here, but I don't like this job. The Chargers potentially moving to L.A. to be little brother second-class citizens in the Rams stadium, in fact, with just having alienated a fan base with Phillip Rivers having two years left max. I don't like this Chargers job, and I think the run to the litter in this case is Matt Patricia. Honestly, though, I agree with you, and Phillip Rivers, though, let's not forget that he did lose his number one weapon this year. That defense did them absolutely no favors, and, you know, uh, Mike McCoy was pretty overwhelmed last couple seasons. He did, you know, it's obviously not, not all on the head coach, but there are worse things to do than inherit the twilight of Philip Rivers' career, and at least as a first year on the job for a young coach, I'd rather the twilight of Philip Rivers' career than Jared Goff's sophomore season. Absolutely. Uh, San Diego Chargers, remember we talked about it with the Denver job, they are decidedly fourth out of four in that division and a tough road to hoe. You know who is not ever fourth? It is rocks and speeds, and we're going to prove it in our DFS lineup, but when we come back, we're going to give you a little sneak preview of our DFS lineup. Maybe we shouldn't give them everything rocks because then they know how to compete against us in our tournament. We're also going to give them our breakdowns of all four wildcard games when we come back. Right, Rocks? We're going game by game. We're giving you Saturday. We're giving you Sunday. We're giving you those AFC games. We're giving you those NFC games. We are with you on the march to the Super Bowl. Let's get it. <laughs> Fantasy Freestyle on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You like that? You like that? Hello? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what it is. Yo, we dropping stats over beats. It's the Fantasy Freestyle on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rocks and speeds in the place to be. If you ever want to get at us, you could always tweet at us at Fantasy Freestyle. But leave off that last E because there are no errors in the Fantasy Freestyle. Hey, Rocks, we're going to hit them off with all this wild card knowledge to give them. Also, yo, shout out to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia that started again. Charlie Kelly, the ultimate wild card. Rocks, uh, you ready to get into these wild card games? Yeah, man. Uh, let's let's take it down south, baby. Let's take it down south. We're going to Houston, aren't we? Yeah. We are going to see an Oakland Raider team traveling. Uh, Oakland Raiders, who very well could have been the second seed. Unfortunately, that Derek Carr injury tr- uh, changes everything, and now they're going to be on the road playing a Houston Texan team. It's going to be Connor Cook versus Brock Osweiler. Speeds, is that what you expect in terms of quarterback play? in a playoff matchup? No, absolutely not. It's funny. I wanted to say this is a matchup of two backup quarterbacks, but the sad part is that Brock Osweiler has been that $72 million noose around the Houston Texans all season long. He is a backup, but, uh, you know, this is pretty bad quarterback play. This is a rematch of that Mexico City Monday night football game where there were lasers in Brock Osweiler's face. I wonder if he has recovered from those. Here's the thing. I've been fading the Houston Texans all season long, and I can't believe it, but I'm going to have to pick them to win this game. I mean, Connor Cook, as the third-string quarterback, he got absolutely zero reps with this offense all season long. If you remember, it was actually McGloin who was the backup. Connor Cook is the first NFL quarterback in history to make zero starts in the regular season and then start a playoff game for his team. And I I think they're going to struggle to move the ball against the number one defense in the NFL, the Houston Texans, only giving up 310 yards a game. I struggle to see how the Oakland Raiders move the ball here. And so unless Brock Osweiler serves it up on a platter, which he is known to do, I can't believe this, but I think the Texans are going to win this game at home. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I will say that I thought Connor Cook was actually, before the draft, one of the better quarterback prospects in the class. I felt like he was really victim of a, a savage, anonymous attack from NFL scouts. And part of me would really like to see Connor Cook prove all of the haters wrong on the road in his first career start. But the reality of it is that this is the NFL, and that is a very, very, very tough road to travel. From a fantasy perspective, I'm really having a hard time looking at these fan duel prices and 
having, you know, selecting really anyone from this game I want to target. There are the, uh, the, the the two Oakland wide receivers who were priced very, very reasonably. But again, you talk about Connor Cook. I'm looking for uh, Lamar Miller at 7,100 on FanDuel in this game. Oakland's defense has not been very, very good at all. You know Houston is going to want to play conservative. Keep Brock Osweiler from losing the game for them and resting their laurels on that defense. I see this being another big workload for Lamar Miller, and I wouldn't be shocked if he got a rare for him rushing touchdown in this one. I would keep Lamar Miller at 7,100 in mind in what is a very, very weak group of running backs this week on FanDuel. No doubt, Rox. I understand what you're saying out there, and I agree with you. I'm fading the Oakland side of this game. I want no part of receivers uh, Crabtree and Cooper in this matchup. I also, you know, Rox, I've been talking about it on Fantasy Freestyle and on Shot Callers on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network all season long at this Oakland backfield and how, like, it's been a committee. It has not been Latavius Murray. And you've seen, even recently, apparently Washington is back in the fold. They're going three-headed again. So it's very hard to pick. You know, if you think you could pick the right one who gets in the end zone or pops off, whether it be Jalen Richard or Washington or Murray, more power to you. I'm going away from it. The I am. I do, however, rocks in that lineup where I'm competing against the Fantasy Freestyle listeners. I have two Houston Texans in that lineup, but they might not be the ones you think. Okay. You got the dork? The first one is uh, the Houston Texans defense. I have the Texans defense. We've been talking about it. Third string quarterback. They're the second highest defense on the board at 4,800, but I like Jadavian Clowney and the number one defense going at home, going against the third string quarterback. The second one, go ahead, Rob. Yo, Houston really showed something this year without J.J. Watt. Yeah, there you go. J.J. Watt, all world, but yo, tip of the cap to the Houston defense for not folding when a lot of people thought they would when J.J. Watt was lost for the season. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Keep moving. Who's that second guy you want to Nah, we're going to keep the second guy secret, I guess, because I don't want people finding this. I really like this play um, within the Houston game. Maybe it's your boy Lamar Miller. Maybe it's uh, someone you don't even know about. You know, maybe, you know, we'll talk about that. Let's keep it moving, though. Let's go to that next game. We have the Detroit Lions. They go up to the Pacific Northwest. And let me tell you something. This Seattle team has kind of stumbled to the end. Okay, you know, Earl Thomas, uh, that's a big injury for the Legion of Boom. They have, The Seattle defense has been giving up 24 points a game since that um, injury. Very different than the 16 or 17 they were giving up before that. And the other thing that's really a problem, in my opinion, with Seattle is this run game. This run game is an absolute nightmare for the Seattle Seahawks. Thomas Rawls has not impressed. In two yards return. a carry? It is not doing well. You know, like, actually, even less and in one of his games. Eight carries for eight yards. They're bringing in Alex Collins and whatnot. I will say this. Um, I do think this is going to be a little bit higher scoring game than you think. I like the over on this one. The total is 43 in this game. I can easily see both teams in the mid to upper 20s. I can see this being a 28-24 kind of game. And that is also why I think it's a close game. And uh, the eight-point spread is too much for me, Rocks. Seattle is giving up eight points at home. If you realize, Detroit is in every game they play, all the fourth quarter comebacks. And honestly, Seattle, especially with this running game, is not blowing anybody out. They even lost at home to Arizona recently. I think um, I think Seattle gets a win, but I'd go, against, I'd go Lions against the spread here. That's my take on the overall game. You heard what some of the uh, kids in Speeds versus the Kids had to say about this game. You got Speeds, the spitting statistician, picking against uh, kids nine years or old or younger. We got a couple interesting experts. We're going to see how they do. Rocks, uh, throw your hat in the ring. Who do you like in this game? You know, I, I think that uh, it's been a nice run for the Detroit Lions and that Jim Bob Cooter offense. They've really done some interesting things this season. That said, I haven't liked the way that Matt Stafford has played down the stretch since he's hurt that finger. You know, uh, losing Theo Riddick has really been bad for their overall balance on offense. They've had to change things up a bit. And I find that, you know, while I don't think Seattle 
is nearly as complete as they have been in years past. The running game uh, is a complete concern. It would probably be nice to have Marshawn Lynch on the roster right now. Losing Earl Thomas is a big deal, but this is a defense that still has four guys going to the Pro Bowl, and they still have Russell Wilson at quarterback, who's never lost a game. I think Seattle is going to win this game fairly handily. I really don't think uh, Detroit is going to be able to do much against them on offense. However, again, talking about that dearth of good running back options this week in FanDuel, Top. I really do like him this week. He played something like 98% of the snaps last week. He excelled in a multi-down role, and that allows uh, that allows Detroit to kind of change up from what they were doing in the middle part of the season, which was playing slow to keep that offense, uh, keep, uh, keep their defense, which was a big liability, off the field. That defense has gotten a lot better, and their offense has shown the ability to actually move quickly. They, If you watch them against the Green Bay Packers, uh, they were really, really moving the ball, and they were doing it with pace. If Zach Zenner stays on the field, he's shown the ability to pick up yards after contact. He's a complete asset in the receiving game, and I think that they don't really have another running back on their roster right now that they trust, and in the playoffs where game flow is such an important thing, he's someone who's proven that he really has established a high floor the last couple weeks. I like him a lot at 6,200 to combine with Lamar Miller as a high-touch floor option at the running back position. That said, uh, Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham back in the playoffs. Jimmy Graham healthy. What do you think? He's the most expensive option this week at the tight end position at 6,600. Is he someone who might be in play for you? Are you fading him this week? Uh, I am not on Jimmy Graham this week. He's the most expensive option at the tight end position. I think I could do better value for that, but uh, we'll leave that for a later conversation. There's a couple of Lions that I wanted to discuss with you because I think they're, you know, I like that Zach Zenner. I like the Zach Zenner call at 6,200. Two things. Uh, you hear what a lot of people are talking about Zach Zenner this week. Uh, Michael Bennett is talking about Zach Zenner. You hear what he said? But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. No, I didn't hear what he said. Michael Bennett, you know, always outspoken. Both of these he says Bennett. a lot of things. He does. Both the and Bennett both brothers. Both of the Bennett's in the playoffs. Both the Bennett brothers say a lot of things. Um, he called Zach Zenner the best uh, Caucasian running back in the NFL right now. Um, I'm reminded of Peyton Hillis, who even graced the Madden cover at one point. But Michael Bennett saying, yeah, you know, really respecting the work he did out in the D2 college that he was at, going over 2,000 yards a season, three of his four years in college, said that he is the best white running back in the NFL right now. But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. You also heard my man, Jim Bob Cooter, talk about that um, he can see Zach Zenner in a multi-down role, like he said, and that they can get that pace afterwards. So that's an endorsement on both from uh, your team and your opponent. Uh, the One other guy on Detroit, though, listen, you know about the Legion of Boom, and you know about how they, uh, you know, how they can cover the receivers. I'm not trying to go Eric Ebron either, but someone who they employ similarly to a tight end that they look to on third down, that they look to in the red zone and is only 4,800 this week on the fan duel. I like Anquan Bolden. Okay, you're not going to have Richard Sherman traveling around to cover Anquan Bolden. They're going to try and shut down your boy Golden Tate. It's going to be Anquan Bolden in key situations, getting the third and 13. He's going to be the, the one person on the Detroit Lions who is equipped to be physical with the Seattle Seahawks and at only 4,800 I like him a lot. You said uh, Jimmy Graham. Part of the reason I'm not playing Jimmy Graham is because I went elsewhere at 6,900. I am going with Doug Baldwin in my DFS lineup. I think um, Doug Baldwin, you know, listen, when you play DFS, you know, sometimes you need to pop off to win weeks. And Doug Baldwin does that from time to time with Russell Wilson. Big plays, multiple touchdowns, and I, guess, I think against the Detroit secondary that can be had in, like I said, a game that I pick the over, over the total of 43. I like Doug Baldwin and I gotta tell you the truth there, Rocks. I know you have a love-hate relationship with this dude, but um, there's only eight quarterbacks this weekend and at 7,700, I like Russell Wilson as well. That's a stack for you from Speeds the Spittin' Statistician. Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin. That is my speed stack. You know, the, the most expensive option is Aaron Rodgers going against that incredible um... Giants defense.
defense lately. Big Ben is your second most expensive option. I happen to pay up instead for Le'Veon Bell. I like Russell Wilson in this game as well. Like I said, a game that I think is going to go over. Yeah, and just one thing, you know, all of those are very, very reasonable takes. One thing I will say is I could not agree with you more about Anquan Bolden, his price, and also Anquan Bolden is someone that you know the moment is not going to be too big for on a Detroit Lions team where very, very few people have playoff experience. Rocks and speeds, when we give it to you, when we agree, that is what you need to win your league and win that cash. Take it to the bank, yo. Take it to the bank. We go to Sunday, Rocks. First game on Sunday is Miami coming up north in January to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers at home. This is the biggest line on the board. The Steelers are 10-point home favorites. There's been a lot of double-digit action so far. Um... You know, in this NFL season, I uh, I check my lines with that uh, with that app, Sports Action. It's a great app. If you remember that, you get the lines. You can see what the public is saying, and they're saying it's a um, ten point spread for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Big Ben, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown at home. A lot of fantasy goodness there, right, Rocks? Yeah, man. And uh, two things that I've been watching pretty carefully in this game as I decide whether I'm going to pay up eighty five hundred for Ben Roethlisberger on the FanDuel is uh, how is Ladarius Green doing? He was in the dark room. He's practiced in full the last couple of days. It looks like he's trending towards starting, which is great news for him because he's really been the seam stretcher, the difference maker that we expected him to be going into the season before he was forced to miss it uh, for undisclosed reasons. We're still not sure if that was an ankle or a concussion. I would say it's trending more towards looking like it was a concussion or both. Also, Sammy Coates is looking like he may be back in the lineup for this one. Hopefully those broken hands or whatever he had going on has been cured, giving the offense another dimension and not reforcing, uh, not forcing them to rely on the likes of people like uh, Eli Rogers and Darius Hayward Bay across from Antonio Brown. Big Ben is at home. We've talked about this all season long. He's been money in the bank at home. I don't really see Miami necessarily putting up a ton of points on Pittsburgh, but the Pittsburgh defense has been susceptible um, and I just think Big Ben is going to be a really great play if he has all of his weapons healthy and I think that they are going to want to make sure that they're in the best position possible for the next game that they're playing because I don't think they should have any trouble whatsoever with the Miami Dolphins team that's starting Matt Moore at quarterback. For sure, for sure, for sure. I agree with you. I think Pittsburgh wins this one going away which is actually uh, one reason why I would stay away from Ben. Um, I think they're going to be able to park the bus a little bit in the second half and get Le'Veon Bell a ton of touches. I see something like 24 to 10 in the second half. Hey, Rocks, you want to make a gentleman's bet about Big Ben? It seems like you're high on Big Ben. I will say that Big Ben is not one of the top four quarterbacks in this week. Not one of the top four scoring quarterbacks? Yeah, I realize I should have said three, but okay. I'll, t- I'll tell you, I'll take it. I think Big Ben will finish as a QB four or above in this week of, uh, of of daily fantasy. I also think that I agree what you're saying about possibly uh, getting the foot off the uh, taking the foot off the gas a bit. But I think that's a Miami secondary that's been exploited through the year, and they could do so much early in the game. Antonio Brown, big play threat. I could see it happening even just in the first half. So I'll take that gentleman's bet speeds. And there you go. Uh, that's we'll, our we'll, first we'll gentleman's bet of 2017. We're fading this Miami side. No real. That's actually no Miami Dolphins in my fantasy lineup. Moving on to the last game of the weekend. We have the New York football Giants going up to Lambeau Field, which is probably frozen by now. And actually the site of, you know... A rematch of games that, you know, go back in Giants lore. You remember Tom Coughlin and the rosy cheeks. Um, you remember, you know, Eli Manning twice having to go through Lambeau in uh, Giants Super Bowl runs. Do you think the Giants are a team that are looking like teams of yore that have made this kind of run? You think Eli steps his game up in the playoffs like he actually has done before? How do you see this game going, Rocks? Well, you know, uh, there's a big difference in temperature between uh, Miami and 
uh, where a lot of the Giants wide receivers have been this week and in Green Bay. And I found it pretty amusing, the, the media coverage, the, the old man waving the finger, get off my lawn, get off my lawn. And uh, I would not be shocked if Eli Manning and Odell Beckham came out there and absolutely shocked the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay has been a team on the clear ascension. Aaron Rodgers said to relax. The team relaxed. They ran the table and they've had a nice run of it. However, that's a team that to me has still looked a little bit vulnerable through the air. You know that Green Bay has been shutting down running games. One of the things we've talked about all season speeds is when uh, the defensive strength goes with something the offense isn't necessarily trying to do. The Giants running game has basically been stuck in neutral or worse all year. You've seen Paul Perkins getting more snaps. It's looking like it's going to be a committee. He's a lot more effective on a big play basis than Rashad Jennings has been through the air. And I would not be surprised to see Eli Manning go into Lambeau in the freezing cold, add to his, hate to say it, but add to his Hall of Fame resume and pull off that upset. And if he does, oh man, Odell Beckham will be worth the 8900 that Fan Duel is charging for his services this week. Yeah, absolutely. Odell Beckham at 8900 You know, you pretty much got to get him in those lineups. The Green Bay Packers got even more banged up in the secondary in their season finale, having safeties play slot corner. So you got to think Odell is ripe to be able to take one of those 7 to 10 yard slants to the house. I like also what you're talking about, Paul Perkins. Paul Perkins only at 5,900. Looks like the more explosive back that the Giants have to and through the hole. One thing I will say on the Green Bay side of things, you know about all the weapons, right? But do you know who Aaron Rodgers himself credits uh, their ability to, like you say, run the table? They actually say that the difference has been the return of the health of their tight end, Jared Cook. Jared yep. Cook at only 5,200 in a game where, if you remember, one of the strengths of the Giants defense recently has been the fact that they have three good cover corners to maybe be able to handle these weapons like Adams or Nelson on the outside in a game where I'm guessing it's probably going to be pretty cold. You might want to see what they could do over the middle. Despite all pro Langdon Collins being there at safety, the Giants have been notoriously bad against uh, defending the tight end. And Jared Cook is building chemistry with Aaron Rodgers. So that is an interesting play in that game. There you have it, Rocks. Those are our, the wild card weekends. We've given people a little bit of taste of our DFS as well. We're not going to give them all the secrets because we're competing against them. Remember, you could check out Fantasy Freestyle on Twitter. Give us a follow. You'll see the link to join that. Hopefully, yo, but go right now because it's going to fill up pretty quick. If it does fill up and there's more demand, we'll open up a bigger one for Divisional Weekend, I guess. Right, Rocks? I mean, the more the merrier, right? The best weekend in sports. The best weekend in sports. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. Um, so when we come back, we're going to be giving our flagship segment, but we're going to be doing it a little bit different. It's going to be like a season-long edition, Rocks. Gameflow Geniuses, Diamonds, and Fantasy Fugazis. Forget about it, right? The superlatives, yo. And this has been the official Fantasy Freestyle Gone Wild Card Weekend segment. I would rather play with 10 people and just get penalized all the way until we got to do something else rather than play with 11 when I know that right now that person is not sold out to be a part of this team. That's a Fugazi. How do you know it's a Fugazi? You looked at it for two seconds. It's a fake. Yeah, I know what a Fugazi is. Yo, what's up? We're back. This is uh, the Fantasy Freestyle on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rocks and Speeds back at it again. What we've been doing, if you've been listening to the network, is you know we give you our diamonds in the rough. We give you our game flow geniuses. And then we here at the Fantasy Freestyle, we give you our fantasy fugazis. Forget about them. That's right. So what we're going to do now that the season is over, we're not going to give you one for just a week. We're going to take this opportunity to look back. We're going to go position by position and give you uh, not what's hot in the streets. We do that in baseball. We're going to give you our season long edition. This episode we're focusing in on the running backs. Hey Rox, let's give them uh, first of all your diamonds. Who are your running back diamonds? You know, and these are people that probably could have won you your league and won you that cash. Who are your running back diamonds for the NFL season 2016? Yeah man, the first uh, the first one I've got is Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon. This is a player who is 
coming off microfracture surgery, who showed absolutely nothing in his rookie year. He did not even score a touchdown. Despite basically missing the last four games of the season, Melvin Gordon was the RB7 in PPR leagues. He totaled three yards shy of 1,000 on the ground with 10 touchdowns, 41 catches, 420 yards, two more touchdowns through the air. Yo, 12 is infinity times more than zero. And those touchdowns were the big difference that made Melvin Gordon a fantasy factor this year in lineups. He was better in every way, but obviously the big thing for him was Danny Woodhead going down, which allowed him to play a much bigger role and earn the trust of Phillip Rivers and the Chargers coaching staff. He's got his career on the right track, and he's almost definitely going to be drafted as an RB1 in drafts in 2017. My second diamond in the rough at the running back position is someone at the complete other side of the spectrum. Old man Frank Gore. Frank Gore was actually 43 years old when the season started. He rumbled and stumbled and bumbled his way to the 12th overall finish among running backs in PPR leagues. We thought this was going to happen for two reasons. Because the Colts were going to be so much better on offense and also because Frank Gore had no competition for touches. Well, guess what? The Colts were not who we thought they were this year. There was a lot of problems. That line was pretty garbage all season. But Frank Gore, however, showed he had a very, very, very high floor. The ceiling was not necessarily there. But what Frank Gore was able to do was add enough production in the passing game and score four touchdowns receiving to make up for Robert Turbin coming in there and stealing those goal line carries from him late in the season. Frank Gore was a guy you were able to get at an RB2 Price, who is a solid fringe RB1 for you all season, who made sure that your team had that nice, solid floor. He was a guy both of us talked up as a value going into drafts this season, and that's why he was a diamond in the rough for me. Who do you got at the diamonds as far as the position goes? For sure, yo. Rocks, you have loved Frank Gore for so long, and he once again turns in a thousand yard season, one of only 12 backs in the NFL to do so. So, like what you're doing over there. I look at my diamonds, I look at guys that uh, you know, we had to look a little bit deeper. Guys that were not necessarily drafted at all. And that would be the case in many leagues for Jordan Howard, Chicago Bears. This is a guy who, you know, was not the starting running back at the beginning of the season, was on waiver wires and finished the year second in the NFL in rushing with 1,313 yards. People were talking about Jeremy Langford before the season. So I think if you look deeper and you found the rookie out of Indiana, Jordan Howard, it did you very well. And then similarly, do you remember week one, this guy was not even um, allowed to board the team plane, and now he went all the way up to 1,272 rushing yards, fourth in the NFL, Jay Ajayi. He definitely won you some weeks. He went not one, not two, but three different 200-yard games, two of them against the Buffalo Bills. That'll get you your head coach fired. My two diamonds in the rough, Jay Ajayi and Jordan Howard at the running back position. I think those are candidates for the fantasy MVP relative to where they were drafted. Hey, Rocks, we go to the game flow genius because there's a lot of running backs out there. You know, it all depends on what their team likes to do. We've talked about exotic smash mouth, and we know the rise, especially in PPR leagues, of third down backs, pass catching backs. A lot of them got hurt this year, but still the weapons they can be in PPR leagues. What running backs do you want to focus in a game flow kind of way for the last season? I laugh at PPR backs for this. My game flow genius is LeGarrette Blunt, who had all of seven catches for 38 yards and still finished as a ninth overall running back in PPR leagues. 18 touchdowns along with 1,160 yards on the ground will do that for you. Nobody really saw this coming, but he was completely consistent. Nine touchdowns in the first eight games, nine touchdowns over the last eight games. His 299 carries were second most in the league to Zeke Elliott and the most by a New England back since 2004. He saw 218 of those carries and saw 12 of those touchdowns while New England was ahead and scored 11 touchdowns in the second half. This was a guy Speeds and I spotlighted all season long as a game flow genius when New England was more than a touchdown favorite at home, which happens kind of often when your team winds up 14-2. So LeGarrette Blunt for me was a game flow genius. And just for uh, just for laughs, he added in three runs of 40 yards or more, which was 
was tied for the most in the league. My second game flow genius, I'm going a little bit of a different direction here, is Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram had a complete up and down year, but he wound up as the RB7 overall playing for the Saints' number one offense. However, his role was inconsistent. He split carries with Tim Hightower, basically 60 to 40, and he watched Hightower, John Kuhn, and Drew Brees total 10 rushing scores while he only had six. However, playing for the number one overall offense has its advantages, and through the seven games the Saints won, he was completely spectacular. I'm talking 100 yards a game, an average of one touchdown, and two catches for a total of 18 fantasy points a game. That's more than five and a half more than he had in the Saints' losses. While the Saints were a little bit tough to predict this season, if you were able to tell when they would win a game, you would be able to tell when the game flow would go Mark Ingram's way, and he's going to be an interesting player to watch next season, particularly after his first thousand-yard season in an offense with playmakers, and it looks like Drew Brees is coming back. Who do you got on that game flow side of things? I'm telling you, man, you know, they 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 did it all season long. Exotic Smash Mouth, you know, and at first it was almost a joke between us, Rocks. We were talking this exotic Smash Mouth. Ha ha ha. You remember also, Rocks, we did we gave the listeners on the Fantasy Freestyle, we gave them over-unders in uh, you know, early on in the year, season long early over-unders, and we hit three out of the four of the ones that we gave. We're gonna win that cash when you mail it off to Vegas. Another one that I strongly, strongly considered was the Tennessee Titans were five and a half win season total, and I thought they were going to go over. I really like Marcus Mariota to take a step, but they have an identity, which is something that a lot of teams do not have, and you know some of the teams that are really doing great, they are also doing exotic smash mouth. You got the Oakland Raiders are really doing it behind that offensive line. The Dallas Cowboys, we've heard about their offensive line. The Tennessee Titans are doing the same thing, and I think it was a great game flow for DeMarco Murray. DeMarco Murray finished third in the NFL, 1,287 yards. I also want to tip my cap to him because he was battling turf toe for a good chunk of the middle of the season. And this is something that they wanted Derrick Henry to kind of assume more and more of a responsibility as the season went along. But then Derrick Henry got hurt and DeMarco Murray continued to play that exotic smash mouth role all season long. So my number one game flow genius is DeMarco Murray at the running back position. The only other one I'll give you is Philadelphia Eagles Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles is a guy who you think he's just that pass catching back, but he added to his repertoire in 2016. This is a guy who carried the ball in between the tackles and in this game that is a war of attrition where running backs are getting lost left and right. There was still tiny Darren getting all the tiny touchdowns and so he's a spin statistician has to tip my cap to Darren Sproles as well as DeMarco Murray as game flow geniuses. But Rocks, I know you want to be all positive because it's a new year. You want to be all happy, but we got to give them fugazis. We got to look back one more time at running backs that maybe if you looked a little bit deeper when you were doing your draft prep, you would have seen that this was not the season for them. That's a fugazi. How do you know it's a fugazi? You looked at it for two seconds. It's a fake. But yeah, I know what a fugazi is. Who is fugazi? Forget about it. The first guy I'm going to start with is someone who tipping my cap to you speeds you did see. Jamal Charles started the season with some injury concerns. He was supposedly full go in practice. However, he was not seeing the field early in the preseason. And a lot of people thought they'd be able to sneak him in at the price of a low, uh, low ranked RB1. Someone who had RB1 high end upside. Still weak winning upside. That was not the case. Charles wasn't even activated until week four, and he only saw 14 touches over the three games he played this season. While in Jamal Charles fashion, he did turn them into 13 fantasy points, that was not useful for you. He did not actually go on IR and have his surgery until after the seventh week of the season, meaning that was dead weight on your roster. And while it's unfair to blame fantasy owners for unforeseen injuries, if you read the tea leaves as my man Speeds did correctly, you could see this one coming. And as a result, the P 
people who spent on Jamal Charles wound up shaking their heads and saying Fugazi as they watched Spencer Ware put a hold on that backfield. My second Fugazi is someone that I didn't see coming. I don't think you saw coming speeds. Lamar Miller. Lamar Miller was drafted in the first round in a lot of leagues, particularly in PPR league speeds. I think both you and I had him as our RB3 or 4 going into the season. Yes, the Brock we thought even he might, be a, he might be a dark horse for RB1. However, as you said, Brock Osweiler, that entire Texans offense was a joke. But he also looked less explosive. He gained some weight. And even though he missed the first two games of the season, he only wound up as the RB19. He was supposed to be a big play guy. He was supposed to be playing on an offense that would move the ball. That was lacking. He was only an RB2 because of that huge workload. He barely saw any carries in the red zone. He only scored five touchdowns on the ground. If you drafted Lamar Miller in the first or second round and you still won your league, hit me up on Twitter at Fantasy Freestyle No E. I want to hear about how you did that. Fugues. Forget about him. Forget about him. I got two more running backs to forget about. One, sad to say, and Rox and I, sometimes we reference our home league. It's a dynasty league. It's a keeper league. I was very excited that I was keeping this guy at value. I thought he was the replacement for beast mode and that he was going to do work and provide the Seattle Seahawks with that rushing game that they had had in years past in order to be a Super Bowl contender. But Thomas Rawls is my season-long Fugazi. Forget Forget about him. Listen, people were hyping him up. He was a top 10 or 15 running back in draft boards going into the season. He gets hurt right away. Again, they think it's supposed to be a three-week injury. It turns out to be an eight or nine-week injury. Then he finally comes back. It's all set up. Christine Michael, they ship him out. CJ Procise looked great, but then got injured. So the backfield was going to be all rolls. What does he do? Like you said earlier in the show, Rox, averaging like like one, two yards to carry for the Seattle Seahawks. That is not going to get it done. Very disappointing year for Thomas Lou Rawls in the deep voice. Fugazi. Forget about it. But the last one rocks. And I had to save this one for last because this is quite frankly the absolute worst Fugazi of them all. I've been talking about this all year. I even coined new phrases about putting 53 men in the box largely because I said that's how I would play this guy. He's been a Fugazi for me multiple weeks of the season. He was the number one overall draft pick for some of you out there. Rocks and Speeds told you not to do it. Some of you did it anyway, but Todd Gurley, Fugazi. Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley, 885 yards rushing this year. That is below Isaiah Crowell, okay? That is below, you know, guys like Spencer Ware. But here's the worst part. Todd Gurley, 3.2 yards a carry. He got the ball 278 yards. There is not a running back in the top. Um, I got to go all the way down to literally the 45th running back in the NFL to find someone who had a worse yards per carry than Todd Gurley. I said it all year. That's a shot called by Spees the Spittin' Statistician. Todd Gurley, fantasy, fugazi, forget about him. And you know the problem? It's not going to get that much different next year. An early pick, I think David Johnson might join him in an offense that might look very similar next year. There you have it. Yo, Rocks, first episode of the new year. How you feel? I feel pretty good, man. And I just hope that our listeners enjoy, appreciate, and understand that every second of playoff football is extremely important because we're going to get into those dark days when it's just the offseason. But we'll be rocking with them through the rest of the playoffs, through the Super Bowl, and then we're going to be giving them that Deion Sanders, Bo Jackson, switching over to fantasy baseball because those boys of summer are coming before you know it. Aren't they, Speed? 
needs. Absolutely. Don't forget that you can check for us on Twitter, Fantasy Freestyle. Leave off the last E. We're going to have that DFS lineup going for Wild Card Weekend. See if you can compete against Rocks and Speeds. We got money on the line. We'll be back next week, Divisional Weekend. Uh, we'll be holding you down, giving you more insight. The four best teams in football join the party next week. Rocks and Speeds will have the party already bumping, dropping stats over beats on the Fantasy Freestyle. Say goodbye to the people, Rocks. Yo, y'all have a great week. Enjoy the games. Stay safe and happy new year. Peace. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game.